Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 6, please. Well, let's get right into it. We've got about 30 minutes here, and so if I can get into the lesson. If you remember last week, we were uh, starting to talk about the path to, to victory. Now, this would apply to really any area in our life. It certainly applies to our marriage even, and that's the context in which we're trying to frame it. Uh, but uh, I want to read to you Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. And of course, uh, we don't always do this, but lifting the verse just on its own. Of course, it's in a contextual block of verses in this great chapter of Romans. Uh, but in, in our Sunday school class, we like to do more topical things and more subject matter things. But I do think that there's a great principle found in this singular verse. It says, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. So you understand that's what we were before we got saved. Um, and this chapter talks about, if you take its context, remember it talks about we need to reckon certain things. That means consider them to be true. And we were the servants of sin, which means we no longer the servants of sin. Now that doesn't mean that we won't sin, right? You understand proper theology on that. Uh, if somebody tells you that they've obtained sinless perfection, I always say grab your wife with one arm and your wallet with the other. Uh, I wouldn't trust somebody that thinks that they've attained uh, sinless perfection. Uh, the verse is not saying that. What it is saying is now because we're saved, we have uh, the power to overcome sin in our life. It, it's, it's like this. Imagine if you were renting uh, a house and Mr. Brown comes on the first of the month to collect the rent. And one month he comes on the first and he says, hey, I just want to let you know uh, I, I sold the house so now you're going to pay uh, rent on the 15th of the month to Mr. White. Not Mr. Brown, you'll pay it to Mr. White. He bought the house. It's no longer owned by me. And so you say, okay, all right, great, understand that. But Mr. Brown still shows up on the first of the month and you still pay him rent. You don't have to do that. In fact, you should not do that. But that's kind of the way we are with sin and being saved, right? You don't have to pay uh, you're not any longer a servant to sin, but sometimes we yield ourselves to sin. In this chapter, again, I'm, I'm getting off into the weeds of this chapter, but that's, that's what the chapter's talking about. So he says, God be thanked. You're no longer a servant of sin. He says, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Remember I tried to uh, make that parallel to the proverb that says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It gives a certain order. We think a certain way. Therefore, we feel a certain way. Therefore, we act a certain way. And that's really the process. And that's exactly what you see in this verse. It's just reversed uh, in, in the way it's presented. It says you have obeyed. But how did you obey? From the heart. Why did you obey from the heart? That form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. So again, you see the same process. Doctrine, the way you think, affects your heart, the way you feel. And then it affects the way you, you act. You obeyed your will, the willpower. So we talked about that, that particular order. So let's kind of jump back into that uh, this morning. God is the source of the truth. And so that's why we want to start with doctrine. There's a clear source for truth. And so there's also a distinct means of the truth. So doctrine is a good word. It's a word I want you to be familiar with. It's a word I want you to appreciate. Because a lot of people don't appreciate the word doctrine. Uh, you, I've even heard people say, yeah, you know, doctrine divides. 
Uh, yes, it does. It's supposed to. It divides truth from error, right from wrong, good from bad, uh, righteousness from evil. It's, it's supposed to do that. But it's as if Christianity is so, you know, doctrine divides, it's bad, you know. It's, listen, I understand that not every doctrinal um, teaching is something that we need to separate over. I get that. But let's not say that doctrine isn't important. Even what we would consider secondary doctrinal things, they're important. Otherwise, God wouldn't have taught them to us. He wouldn't have put them in the Bible. Uh, but I understand not every hill is worth dying on. I think we all agree on that. I mean, we, we talked about that in the books of Acts when we were preaching through that. Remember in chapter 15 when they're talking about salvation by grace through faith? There's some things worth fighting for. There's some hills not worth fighting, fighting on. Listen, I... I Anyway, I, I think you get that. I, I was going to expound on it more, but we'll, we'll pass on that. So there's a clear source of truth, and that's doctrine. Doctrine just simply means teachings. It means beliefs. And listen, what you believe is important. Um, what, I, I'm kind of talking about it already, but can anybody tell me why what you believe is so important? Anybody want to discuss that for a second? Yeah, exactly. I always say what you believe determines how you behave, and, and that's exactly what we're talking about here. Um, so if I say that I believe the Bible is the Word of God, that's why I should read it every day, right? If I say it's the Word of God and it doesn't affect my behavior, I, I probably don't really believe that, you know? Uh, did somebody else have a comment? Did I, I was going to say the same thing. It just results in, in how you act. I mean, it shows that you really are the workmanship of God or Absolutely. Let's take it a step further, too, or, or, or maybe a step simpler. How about this? If I don't believe the right things about Jesus, I can't be saved. If I don't really believe the right things about the gospel, it has eternal consequences, right? So doctrine is, is very significant. And to pretend like it's not is, is, is irksome, really. Um, uh, again, we, we don't want to turn everything into, into a fight because some things are secondary. But again, I would suggest to you, just because something is secondary doesn't mean it's not significant. All right? Uh, so, so keep that in mind. Now, we're, we live in a world, especially with the, with the infusion of the Internet, that is barraged with conflicting opinions, differing philosophies, carnal solutions. But I want you to know the Bible never changes with the times the Bible never has bowed to the pressure of political correctness. Uh, and in fact, that's why I think the Bible should be so important to us because it's our, it's our tropical island getaway. All right, now look, I, I know we all need uh, a, a vacation. I'll be honest with you, my, my brain is tired now, my body is tired now, and I need, I, I need a little bit of a break. And praise the Lord, I'm going to get one tomorrow, uh, start for a little while uh, sort of, because we got a wedding coming up, and so I'm sure I'm gonna a lot of junk I got to do about that. So, uh, but anyway, I, I need I need need a little bit of rest, and I get that. And so sometimes it's fun to go to a tropical island getaway, right? I mean, man, if you like to go to Pauly's Island or, or the mountains or wherever it is you like to go, we all need that. But the Bible for us, like spiritually, is is our tropical island getaway. It's 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 a free. It's like a no spin zone, right? It it, it doesn't bow before the pressure of the times. Now, don't you get tired of people in our, in our day and age who bow before this uh, transgender ideology? I mean, it just, it's frustrating. It's like, why are people bowing to such a nonsensical 
uh, uh, subject matter. And, and, and I'm just thankful that the Bible doesn't do those things. It's our tropical island getaway. But, but I want you to notice a little bit of a, a snippet in that verse that we just read. It says, the form of doctrine which was delivered you. So the idea there is that someone had to deliver it to you. Um, Life-changing truth doesn't just materialize out of thin air. Remember, remember Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say to him? Blessed are you, Simon of Barjona, uh, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but, but God has revealed this unto you, right? So, so God revealed himself to us. God has given us his truth. But notice that God also um, imparted us the truth through wise counseling and, and sound teaching. Um, so, so let's put this in the context of marriage this morning. Uh, wise is the couple who determines to seek out a wise spiritual leader who can help them. Look, we all need spiritual shepherding in our life. We all do. That's why God, the Bible says that he gave some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. He gave these gifts to us. And, and I know you, we could go around this room and we could think of some of the people in our life that God used to, to truly disciple us. I mean, in fact, let's just kind of keep the discussion going. I want to maybe do a little bit better than this. Just, just in, in, in a very brief one sentence or something, tell me somebody, and I'm not saying this, I, I know right now I'm your pastor, I'm the spiritual leader here, and so hopefully I've had a spiritual impact and influence on you, but I, I, I'm somebody besides me currently, I'll start. You've heard me talk about Wally Miller. He has been, I consider my pastor to this day. But he, he, was a, he was my youth director, great spiritual influencer in my life and continues to be in this day. Somebody tell me, uh, somebody in your life that, that imparted to you sound doctrine and, and was a spiritual influence. Real, real quick. Robert? Yeah. Yeah, and had a huge impact. That's awesome. And how great do coaches have a strong spiritual influence sometimes? Somebody else? Ricardo? Amen. Amen. Somebody else. One more. Anybody? Miss Ginger? Why they were doing it? Absolutely. That's great. That's that's awesome to have. have that's what we, that's a great testimony. We should have that same influence in our own homes. And and I, I like that. I was we were studying that. Uh, 
uh, Collegians for Christ uh, training yesterday. And I love that their purpose statement, it added something that I really liked that goes along with your testimony. It basically said that their purpose was to you know, reach people with loss and show them uh, what we believe and why we believe it, which is something that we say around here a lot. But I love this. They added, and where to find it in the Bible. I thought that was a really good uh, additional statement in their purpose statement. And so uh, praise the Lord for that. But what I was saying there about that is thank God for these people who, who are... Uh, investing in our life. And so again, wise is the couple who determines to seek out wise, a wise spiritual leader that can help them. I'll be honest with you, it's frustrating in ministry when people are having struggles in their marriage and we're talking about marriage in here and I'm trying to get them to my class and they won't come. That's foolishness. And this idea of having somebody uh, impart to you uh, doctrine, you, you, you understand that's like being on a tropical island but having a tour guide. It knows exactly where to go and what to do. Um, I, again, I'm not trying to make it sound like a biblical counselor or a pastor is an all-knowing sage. I've told you a wise person is not somebody that knows all the answers. No man knows all the answers. But a wise person knows where to get the answers, knows where to turn to for the answers. And uh, again, I'm not trying to suggest that you need some kind of uh, spiritual pontiff in your life. We reject Catholic teaching that says, like, like we, that, that's kind of, that language has kind of crept into the Baptist world or the Christian world where you talk about like clergy and laymen. That, that originated with, with Catholicism where it was like, I, the, 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 the priest knows all and the layman does not. And so leave it to me because I know. Listen, we reject that idea. What's, what's that doctrine in the Bible called? What do we, what do we call it? It's a Baptist distinctive. Yeah, priesthood of the believer. All right, so we believe, right, that you have the same access to God as your pastor does, right? You, you have the same Holy Spirit residing in you who's a teacher of God's Word. So what that means is, right, you, you can go to the Bible and you can, you can understand it for yourself. But, but let me ask you a question. What if today in the church service... Uh, we, 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 we sang, we did some things, and then when, when it was like preaching, teaching time... Um, I just looked up to the sound booth and I said, uh, guys, I'm kind of tired today, um, just kind of worn out. It's been a busy week with Kids Crusade, didn't have a lot of prep time. Uh, so, Miss Barbie, if you'll just press play up there, uh, we're going to listen to several chapters of uh, uh, Alexander Scorby reading uh, Romans. And, uh, you know, I let him play for about 40 minutes and I got up and said, all right, that's good, cut it off. All right, y'all, thanks for coming. Now, let me ask you a question about that. I mean, was, was that a presentation of the truth? Absolutely it was. I mean, how many of you ever listen to Alexander Scorby or James Earl Jones read the Bible and you're like, man, man, I wish I could sound like that, right? Uh, we, we've all, that, I mean, that's a blessing. It's a, it's a presentation of the truth, right? Uh, but would it be as effective as preaching and teaching God's Word today? I, I, I don't think so. God chose the foolishness of preaching, right? I mean, there's something significant to it. Even back in the book of Ezra, or I mean, Nehemiah, when Ezra the scribe stood up and, and, he, and he gave what the Bible says, the plain sense of the word, and all the people, they stood and they received it, and they said, amen, amen. This is a blessing. You know, you can read the Bible for yourself, and the answers are there for the taking, but often truth, if found, is not always understood. And if it's, if it's understood, it's not always applied. 
And that's why a pastor or a counselor might see a need that you don't see or might have a solution that you've overlooked or might be able to present it in a way that is helpful to you. Like, for example, Mindy gave me a testimony this week of a little girl that she led to Christ in, in uh, Kids Crusade. And she was giving the gospel to this student. Remember, I had given it several times. She was now giving it to the student. And she said something a certain way. And the little girl's eyes lit up and she goes, now I understand what you're talking about. You see, God uses things like that to help illuminate his truth. So, let's get back on track. A source of victory for your marriage is the word of God presented and explained by the servant of God. So that's, that's kind of the, the central idea of the lesson this morning. I'll read it again. A source of victory for your marriage is the word of God presented and explained by the servant of God. Now, this is not enough without your cooperation in the process. Okay? Listen, I, you, you've heard me tell you that the, the, the qualifier for a skinnier preacher is, uh, you know, heavier preachers, it's how much they sweat. Uh, for skinnier preachers like me, it's did you preach hard enough for your socks to fall down, all right? I can preach till my socks fall down. And listen, if you don't cooperate with the truth, it's not going to change anything, all right? It, it, you've got to cooperate with it, and that comes back to this particular verse that we've been, we've been talking about. Uh, again, if we backed up a verse, here's your cooperation. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Remember that illustration about the, the, the landlord? I mean, that's, that's kind of what he's teaching in that particular verse. And so you can either choose to sin or you can choose righteousness by the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've pointed out this three-step process towards change. Again, you could label it just how the Bible does. Doctrine, heart, obedience. We could say it this way. Doctrine is intellectual. Heart is emotional. Obeyed, that is volitional. You know, preachers, we like to alliterate things. So that's an alliteration on the back end. We could, we could do it on the front end with, with all H's. Doctrine, that's your head. Uh, heart, uh, that's just what it is. Heart, o obedience, that's your hand. Doing, right? Uh, you could say this. You, you doctrine, you learn it. Heart, you love it. Uh, obedience, you live it. You, you, you see, it's just kind of the process, however you, you want to remember that, but it's so significant. Now, let's talk for a moment about these three steps. To omit a step in this particular order uh, is, it kind of invites uh, a breakdown in the process. I mean, what if we just want to go learn it, live it? Now, I think there's a lot of Baptists that do that. All right, I told you. I mean, this is the truth. I proclaimed it. You learned it. Now live it. Right? There's a breakdown in that process. Hey, look, there are some other people that are wired a little bit different than, than others, and so they, they kind of skip the learn it process. They just love it and then try and live it. And, and uh, anybody know the, the, the denominational brethren I'm, I'm kind of picking on there? What's that, Mark? Yeah, charismatics, man. I mean, hey, hey just excited about it, Right? And, and, and then they try and live it. But, but think about it. Let's, look, I'm picking on us Baptists. A lot of Baptists we know fear emotion. I mean, you hear me joke sometimes about clapping in church or, or somebody raising their hand or getting happy. I mean, uh, sometimes you, you can, you can uh, uh, get really bothered by somebody that gets emotional. And I, I think that's unfortunate, to be honest with you. 
Uh, many Baptists fear emotions because of its associations with, with charismatic teaching, and therefore they tend to go directly to the will, and then that creates kind of what Miss Ginger was talking about, almost a rules-regulated, copycat kind of Christianity. You just do what I say because I said it. This is, this is what, what we taught. I gave you a verse about it, so do it. And we understand that what that doesn't, what that doesn't allow for is emotions to engage Therefore, convictions can't grow, and so it produces a performance type of conformity that doesn't have a lot of joy. And that's not what God wants us to have. But on the flip side, on the other hand, there are some Christians, and I, I listen, I, I, my, my grandmother is, is a member of a Church of God church, and so I kind of understand that. I've been around it a little bit. And a lot of times, not all the time, I understand they have a lot of good doctrine, but sometimes they skip doctrine and go right to emotion. And the result is that they find uh, that he finds any clarification of his feelings by the Bible uh, uh, superfluous and, and, and even kind of confusing in their life. And so I think both groups can, even though they're, they're different sides of the coin, can complain about this flash-in-the-pan kind of conversion Whose, whose Sunday decisions barely make it till Monday. It's because they're not following the proper process that God laid out to us. It's learn it, love it, live it. All right? It's, it's got to be those elements in those order, in that order. So again, I got about seven minutes here, and there's no way I can finish all of this, but, but I want to talk here, and maybe we'll just cover this. Victory begins with doctrine. Let's, let's park there for a minute, because we're going to say victory begins with doctrine, victory continues with emotion, and victory finishes with, with volition. But let's talk about doctrine. Let's apply it to marriage. A lot of couples skip the doctrine part altogether. Totally skip it. Uh, again, I've said this, most people spend more time planning for their wedding than they do their marriage. It's easy to do. It's easy to spend all of this time buying a dress, getting decorations, getting a photographer, planning a meal, doing all of this stuff, and you spend more time planning for a wedding ceremony than you actually do a marriage. And so then you end up getting into, man, what are we doing here? And you get down the road, you get past what we said, you know, the honeymoon's over kind of thing, and real life hits you, and, and now you're dealing with all of this stuff. Uh, then... Now we got problems. Well, think about it. People who begin with the heart say something like this. Help me feel better. I mean, that's where they want to start. I don't feel right. I don't feel like I'm in love. I don't feel like things are going well. So help me feel better. Well, you see what they're doing? They're skipping the doctrine part. But then you got other people that say, help me act differently. Right? I, I got to change the way I behave i got to stop doing this and start doing that. And you see what they're doing is they're going immediately to that obey stage. They're going immediately to the, to the will stage. But I wonder how many people, because I don't know that I've ever had it. I don't know how many people who come in and say, hey, we're having some problems in our marriage. And they sit down in my chair and they say, uh, help me think better. That's just not the way we, we tend to roll, right? Uh, that's just not what we're doing. But, but, but see, God's solution begins with Thinking better first. He begins with doctrine. Uh, I'll give you another verse. Hebrews 5.12. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles. You know what he's saying? Listen, we got some problems here, and the solution to those problems is getting back 
to the, to the correct teaching. We've got to go back to the basics and start thinking properly. See, once you know the truth about love and marriage, you'll have an energizing force that moves the heart and eventually frees the will. Misconceptions, lies, distortions, unrealistic expectations, man-made theories, all of these things about love and marriage, they have to be clearly identified and abandoned before a couple can embrace the truth. If teaching appeals directly to the heart to change the will and the emotions, then they are based on a non-existent or faulty doctrine, or, or they're based on a non-existent or faulty doctrine. These emotions will weaken in time, and the resolve will soon follow. What I mean by this is a lot of people go in and say, oh, I, I want to go to a seminar that's going to teach us how to fall in love with uh, all over again. Listen, there is nothing wrong with that. I've even taught lessons on how to, how to fall in love again. In fact, if you go to Revelation chapter 2, it's, it's a letter to a church, the church at Ephesus, but it says, ye have left your first love. And so what does he say? He says, repent and do the first works. And remember where you were. Listen, that's a great formula to fall in love again. And really that's what being, being married is all about, right? It, it's just about falling in love with the same person over and over and over again for the rest of your life. So, so there's nothing wrong with going to some seminar or reading some book in order to renew the feelings of lost romance. You know, somebody can say, hey, come this weekend and learn how to fall in love with, uh, all over again. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that except for this. It's kind of weak. You say, what do you mean? Listen, if all you are doing is focusing on the emotions, then you understand what I'm talking about. Then your decision is only going to last as long as you feel a certain way. And listen, we all rapidly change our feelings. I don't, I don't care who you are. You, you, you can be the most stoic and steady person in here. You still fluctuate in your emotions. And sometimes there isn't even in any kind of logic behind the fluctuation in your emotions. So again, if everything is based on how you feel, you, you can see why you're not going to do what you're doing very long. Like, come on. I don't want you to raise your hand. It might embarrass you and might, might uh, offend me. But there are some of you that didn't want to, maybe didn't feel like coming this morning. But what, what we need to do is have doctrine that says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as a man or such as, is how are we going to exhort one another to good works if we don't show up and we're not around each other? And so our doctrine controls that. And then you know how it is. Our doctrine controls it. And you get here and you're like, you know what, this feels pretty good being here. Some of you are like, actually, there's sometimes I didn't feel like going, and when it was all over, I, my feelings were confirmed. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe so, I don't know. But I'm just simply saying, I know there are a lot of people that only read the Bible as long as they feel like it. They only go to church as long as they feel like it. They're only spiritual as long as they feel like it. And their, their spiritual life is like what James said. You're a double-minded man. You're like the waves of ocean. You go in and you go out and you go in and you go out and you go in and you go out. And we know people like that. And we know that we shouldn't be like that. Okay, but that's because they're starting in the wrong place. But, but again, it's just, it's just as problematic if you appeal only to the will. Because think about it, when the pressure on the will stops, then conduct reverts back to its comfort zone. Like, for, for example, um, I'll just leave you with this. There was a couple uh, that I was working with and just really, you know, I'd led some of their family members to Christ and got them in church. And man, they had come a long way, but then I noticed they started missing. They'd miss my class. They'd miss church. And so I'd call them on Saturday night. Hey, you coming tomorrow? I haven't been seeing you in a while. Oh, yeah, 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 we'll be there. And then I just got to the place where I, I just noticed. I noticed the pattern. If I called them on Sunday night and said, hey, I've been missing you. You need to be in church. Then they would be there. If I didn't call, they wouldn't. 
Now, what's the solution to that problem? And I struggle with that, right? Because you want people to come to church. But eventually, I hope this doesn't make you, make, make you think less of me, eventually I just stopped calling. Because I thought, I can't do this the rest of my life. I, I can't call them every single Saturday night. At some point, it has to be theirs. It, it, it can't just be me putting pressure on their will, right? At some point, they've got to have a belief system that produces an emotional system that results in a volitional system. And that's kind of the idea. So again, victory begins with doctrine. What you think is so incredibly important. And we'll talk the next week. Victory continues with emotion and finishes with volition, and we'll move into some new territory there as well. 